Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing Podcast. Buckle up and ride shotgun as we cover everything you need to know about the uplands. The habitat. The hunting. And of course, your favorite bird dogs. We invited the Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever family of members, chapter volunteers, partners, and social media followers to ride shotgun with us for this year's rooster road trip across the Dakotas. For this 12th installment of Rooster Road Trip, Andrew changed the rules. Well, we all changed the rules, but Andrew changed the rules. Instead of an almost live event, we turned Rooster Road Trip into a month-long series with the goal of upping the ante on our video production. This guy right here. The feedback along the way has been tremendous. Thanks to all of you for watching, reading, listening, and commenting. Special thanks to the hundreds of people who have become Pheasants Forever members during this year's Rooster Road Trip. And thanks to our sponsoring partners who have made Rooster Road Trip for 12 straight years an incredibly important revenue stream for our wildlife habitat conservation mission. Those sponsors include Browning, official apparel and shotgun manufacturer of Rooster Road Trip, Garmin, providing all the e-collars and, and watches for our dogs, Apple Autos, providing the F1, uh, Ford F-150 truck, Rufflin Kennels, where all our dogs stayed safe as we drove from state to state, uh, Soundgear Hearing Protection and our buddy Lance Kramer for taking good care of our hearing, Thoroughgood Boots, the official boot of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever and the Rooster Road Trip, South Dakota Tourism, our national sponsor, and Federal Premium Ammunition, the only shotgun shell ever fired on Rooster Road Trip in 12 years. Today, we've assembled the Twin Cities-based members of this year's Rooster Road Trip for our first ever video recorded podcast to answer questions that poured in from our Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever social media channels about this year's Rooster Road Trip. So without further ado, allow me to introduce the participants, which I've sort of done already. Andrew Vavra, um, sitting to my, my left here, is the Director of Marketing. Uh, he's I called him the Kirk Cousins, the Aaron Rodgers, the Tom Brady. <laughs> Not Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> Not Aaron Rodgers. Be careful comparisons. Uh, yeah, that's, that's rough. <laughs> Who is your favorite quarterback of all time? Uh, fifth grade me would say Dan Marino. Okay. <laughs> oh, Dan Marino. Well, I, could, I, I was thinking you were going to say um, uh, Dante Culpepper, but you lived in Seattle for a time. So I lived in Seattle for a little while, but I'm basically Minnesota born and bred, so I, I have that miserable sports complex going in my mind in terms of will always fail all the time, which is probably why I loved Dan Marino growing up. <laughs> Not Hasselback, huh? Nope, nope. Dan Marino all Dan the way. Dan Marino, all right. Um, so the official Rooster Road Trip quarterback and uh, the voice of uh, all the Rooster Road Trip uh, videos, which have turned out um, absolutely incredible. Thanks to the guy on my right, um, Aaron Blacksmith, the video production specialist for Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, a photographer, and um, 
I, I threw this in here. Our very own master super control, um, <laughs> master control supervisor. Sorry, right. I don't even know what that means. I just hear I it out on KFAN every time I'm listening to a Vikings game, and they they have a master control supervisor. So that's what you are now. That's your new title. All right, let's make it official. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure why there's a Vikings thread throughout the beginning here, but there is at the moment. Um, and then Logan Hinners, even um, I don't know. This is like podcast number four for you you're yeah. on with tony peterson and shed hunting with Dockin. the dockins yep. and then we've done a couple of rooster road trip yep. so that's, podcasts. that's probably about right you're almost like a co-host no not even close <laughs> <laughs> i'll um, leave that to you graphic design manager um photographer and um a guy that i value because of your your philosophy of f8 and be there so <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's well, another podcast you were on with the uh, Eric, Eric Peterson. Peterson. I was so gonna say, I'd probably give a shout out to Eric for that one. That's a that's a pretty clever saying, but uh, he's a friend of Pheasants Forever and contributor. But yeah, F8 and be there. That's kind of my my job on this trip. And um, seems like an appropriate time to thank Aaron and and Hunter probably too for for stepping up and taking a few more stills. Um, so I could I was afforded the ability to uh, shoot the shotgun a little more this trip, which I thoroughly enjoyed. The well, that Maxis did it miss? Did you miss it all? I did. Yep, I did miss once. Uh, I guess I didn't keep track. You don't. You don't have to answer. That. <laughs> <laughs> it uh, it was a pretty sweet shooting shotgun. So whoever comes away at the end with that giveaway shotgun, the Brownie Maxis, you're going to be awfully happy. So uh, just um, for folks that maybe didn't listen to the Eric Peterson podcast, just. Um, a short summary of what F8 and B there means. Uh, it's a, you know, in the manual camera world, it's it's a setting on your camera. Um, it's just kind of, you know, you got you got to be at the spot and you know F8, you're you're in focus, take the shot, just mm-hmm. kind of just be there, be there, capture Live that in moment. the moment. Yep. That's something that uh, haunts me from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> I get in, I get in my own head. You, not that you guys would have seen that traveling with me for a week at a time over the course of the last 12 years. <laughs> um, anyways, um, thank you all to the, uh, the Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever Upland community, social followers on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, watching all these videos on YouTube and sending in some really uh, thought-provoking questions. So we've broken up, or Andrew has broken up, um, the questions in a couple different categories. Uh, Dogs, hunting, gear, kind of a hodgepodge, potpourri, potpourri, mixed bag, general, miscellaneous, you pick your term. And then we've got a couple specific questions for um, uh, Marissa and Renee, a couple of our female co-workers who are along. Marissa lives in Nebraska. Renee lives in North Dakota. Um, so they weren't here to be able to record the podcast in person with us. But we got some some very specific questions that uh, um, they've provided us answers for. So we'll we'll dive into to those. Without further ado, let's uh, let's tackle. Thanks for letting us use your basement, by the way. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> let's dive into um, uh, the dogs question um, category first. So up first, Terry, uh, Terry Crosby writes in, what was hunting over new dogs and breeds like for everyone? Was there a new breed someone hunted with during this trip that they never hunted with before? Um, so I'm going to throw this at uh, Andrew. I think place to start is kind of recounting 
all the different breeds this that is, we hunted. Yeah, this is going to be a, a test of uh, my, my faculties here. <laughs> it's a little memory game. Um, okay, so starting in southwest North Dakota, uh, we had Riggins, the setter. Mm-hmm. We had Quill, the German wire hair. We had Bridger, the field-bred English cocker. Um, we had Lola and Molly, the two golden retrievers. Uh, the, the field line of goldens. We're, 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 he's pretty proud of that. You're hot out of the gates. Uh, and then we, we had our, our usual uh, traveling circus of dogs, right? <laughs> um, so I had the French Brit, Baxter. Logan has the, the tried and true lab, uh, Aspen. You had your, your two stellar GSPs, uh, Gitchy and Esky. And then... Um, uh, let's see here. Oh, Marissa yep. had, uh, had, was it Reese? Reese. Reese. Yep. She yep. brought Reese. Yep. The GSP. Um, so that was the North Dakota leg. And then, so all of our dogs, including Marissa's traveled to South Dakota after that, which, uh, we were then joined, um, by Jake Hansen, our South Dakota regional rep. And he was also team GSP, uh, GSP Jep. Jep, yep. And then to round it out with the All-American Yellow Lab again, we met up with Ben Lardy the last day and his Yellow Lab Woodrow. From Lonesome Dove. From Lonesome Dove. <laughs> I think that's all. I think and, you nailed and it. I know I have a computer in front of me, but I'm not reading that. Like, <laughs> so if I, if I missed that, that I good. apologize. That was good. A lot of dogs. <laughs> um, do you, did you perceive there to be any complications with hunting um, that many different dogs, dogs that didn't know each other, uh, flushers versus pointers? You know, that that's a really good question, and it's something that kind of takes away some of my sleep leading up to the trip. Because when you're piecing together the team that's going to be traveling through you know, the country and, and also who you're meeting up with, a lot of it, a lot of it is kind of playing Shackleton in terms of like personalities that will mesh and who's actually going to have a good time under some stressful situations and and are their dogs up to snuff or will they at least be good citizens? Um, none of us take our dogs seriously in terms of we're not like overly hardcore like my dog is a machine it has to be perfect. It's they're members of our families first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Um, so as long as they can get along, we really have no issues. Um, so it was. It was great coming into North Dakota, having never hunted with Quill, who's a young pup, having never hunted with Riggins or Bridger, and just seeing all the dogs just be bird dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was quite the display of skill sets. When I first got my – so I have a, an 11-and-a-half-year-old lab at home, and she's my first bird dog. And I went that route because I, I love to chase ducks. I was still new to upland hunting. I kind of wanted a dog that could do it all. Um, what we saw were a couple dogs that are, are versatile in that aspect. They can thrive in a lot of environments, but we also saw some pretty specialized hunting techniques. You know, Riggins, the setter, you know, flying 500, 500 yards out. And then my little Brit thinking suddenly he was the setter. That was fun to watch. <laughs> but, um, and, and then, you know, you, you have the, the Cocker Spaniel, which is the tighter working, mm-hmm. you know, she almost heals him until she gets into the cover she wants. And then he's a closer working flushing dog. Mm-hmm. So it's, pretty fun to see all the different techniques and the specialties and watching these different dogs all excel in different environments. And then from there, you're almost thinking, well, what's my favorite way to hunt? Like what's my favorite terrain? And my next dog, I'm probably going to have a bit more specialized to that and just be able to excel in the environments in which I love most Mm -hmm. versus trying to be okay at everything. Um, And that's kind of a shift in philosophy for me personally. And that's 
100% due to watching all these dogs on the road trip. Hmm. Well, one thing that just kind of a final thought on that question that if you're in a big group and you desire to break up into smaller groups, when you have a variety of dogs, it does create a natural, well, pointers are going to go that way. Flushers are going to go that way. And you don't have to worry about anybody's personalities being hurt about or who wants to go where because just two different styles. It's like, I hunted with Renee and Marissa a lot the first couple of days because it was just, okay, pointers go that way, right? And, and, and Logan and the Goldens and, you know, the flushing breeds go the other direction. And, and um, it, it's kind of just a natural break uh, for hunting in smaller groups. Yeah, and it, it makes it easy to split up. But one thing I always get a kick out of, it seems like on a yearly basis, we'll see a question bubble up on social or someone actually contact us in terms of, what do you guys feel about hunting flushers and pointers together? Mm-hmm. I'm like, what about it? Like, who, who cares? But that's because we kind of don't take ourselves super seriously. So if, you know, Bridger or Aspen like blows up one of your dog's points, you're not going to lose lose your marbles, right? <laughs> but I almost, I almost love it because generally speaking, the pointers are working further out. Mm-hmm. They're covering more ground, but at a faster clip. Mm-hmm. And so you have them kind of vacuum up a larger area, but it's not as precise. Um, so behind them, then you have the, the flushing or retrieving breeds that are working a lot closer, a lot more thoroughly. It's, it's almost like having two different types of vacuums at home. You have your Roomba, right? Which, <laughs> which will be like the pointing breed and they're just zooming all over the place, bouncing into things, just kind of like sucking up dust here and there. But then like the handheld is the retrievers. That's like the precision. Like if it's there, it's going to, you're going to find it. Um, so it's, it's, it's a weird analogy, but like, that's what came to mind. And that's like, great it kind of works. Pulling a lot of dog hair out of your vacuum yeah. slightly, huh? I have two dogs and a cat at home. You wouldn't believe it. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know if I have a vacuum. In <laughs> you know, a- Andrew makes a very good point about that. You know, as a, as a flushing dog owner, um, my entire life, you know, I, I started hunting with pointers, obviously, when I, I started at Pheasants Forever hunting with you and, and some other pointing dog owners. Um, it was it, it was a little intimidating, um, especially when I saw big ranging dogs. You know, I'm sitting there thinking, like, why am I even running my dog? Mm. You know, these dogs are, you know, 500 yards out, and here he is, 40. You know, mm. I want him working close. Um, you know, but t- to Andrew's point, you know, just, just through different hunts and s- situations, you know, we're all familiar with KG roosters. You know, mm-hmm. they'll circle back. The pointing dogs certainly don't pin every bird. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it works well, I think, um, having kind of those different layers of of dogs working. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty cool to watch. You know, I think from a flushing dog perspective, you know, just being self-aware and having control of your dog um, yeah. and just, just knowing the group and the other dogs, you know, it's just that respect thing. If I see one of your dogs go on point, I'll – do everything I can in my power to get my dog to heal, you know, over by me. Um, you know, that's, that's your bird. I think that's a good and an important point because as a pointing dog person, you know, you do worry about, um, a flushing dog pressuring a dog on point and then they start to creep and then they start to break point because of competition. So you, you do see me, you know, gravitating towards the wings, right? Hunting to the left or right of the group and, (laughs) <laughs> to, to to Andrew's dismay, sometimes that leads me uh, further and farther away. But it does, you know, there are ways to hunt. I mean, I, all my dogs have been used to hunting with with um, people with flushers because some of my best friends have, have labs and goldens. And, 
Um, so you just sort of pick your spots. Generally, um, it allows me to hunt uh, outside the cattails, <laughs> <laughs> which is a positive too. I can hunt some some bigger ground, some bigger grass. All right, let's move to um, question number two here from Rick Diaz. What items besides food and water do you bring to care for your dog? What's in your hunting vest versus what's in your truck? Uh, Logan, why don't you you tackle that one? What's uh, what's Aspen, your your uh, lab, have uh, in the back of your vest or in your truck with you? Yeah, um, so I always carry a, a first aid kit. I, you know, I apologize, I don't remember the brand. That's one we carried in our warehouse here, but um, yeah, it's equipped with everything. You hope you don't need it, but it's always... You know, it's a, a must-have in the back of the truck for sure. Um, you know, I carry a few things, you know, like a, a trap release um, gizmo in my vest and, and a wire cutter. Um, just a few little things in my vest. I always have booties packed. Um, you never know when you're going to get a situation when you need them. Um, you know, when we've hunted some places, you know, further south, southwest, we've gotten into pretty bad um, spots with sambers, um, and the booties were a lifesaver. Um you also carry those just if you have a, a paw injury, you can put a booty on, usually help them out a little bit. I carry athletic tape. Um, I, that's probably about it. You know, just your your normal grooming stuff, brush. Um, I always carry extra towels. I got like this dog chamois that actually worked pretty slick. Hmm. Um, it's just to pull burgers off. No, it, so like you know, when we hunted, what was it Wednesday? We had the all day rain mm -hmm. in South Dakota. Yep. I was able to just chamois him off, so he was you know he's pretty dry before I put him in the kennel. It just helps him regulate his body. He's not so cold sitting in the kennel, and um, yeah, so it, just things like that. Mm -hmm. I, I would say is what I pack. Anything extra from you, Andrew? Yeah, I. I always have a, a Leatherman multi-tool, mm -hmm. uh, so on me personally, um, you know, even in the sand hills earlier this season, you know, I, I saw that put to use two different times due to pork porkies. Um, so that's definitely something I, I carry, um, you know, plus one for the booties. I always have mommy. I don't leave them in the truck. Um, they weigh nothing. And, you know, you, you as Logan alluded to, you hit that one section of the field where your dog just freezes and then you pull them off and you think they're okay. And then 20 yards later, it freezes again. It's just so much better just to have them on you. Um, also athletic tape in the field. Um, uh, but that's about it. Cause that and some gauze that could hopefully get you back to the truck. If you need anything more major than that in the 12 seasons of the rooster road trip, there's only been one instance where we actually had to use the stapler, right. but we were glad when we actually had it. Um, so it's pretty light, pretty basic. Um, you know, as dogs get older, you can get into some of the supplements and things that give them right at the end of the day to kind of help them continue moving forward for the rest of the trip. But, uh, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty light and basic because I'm not a vet. Um, so one thing that is critical for anybody who's actually taking a road trip is take the five minutes and Google some, some veterinarian clinics in the, in the same area that you know, you're going to be, um, just so they're in your back pocket because if anything were to happen that would require a vet visit you're already going to be so frazzled and if it's your dog then you're going to be barking orders to other people because you're going to be worried about your dog just have those numbers in your phone already so it's uh, just a, a, a one click and dial type situation so it's one less thing to worry about so aaron <clears throat> i've got um, you're, you're going to contribute to the dog component here and you didn't okay. know this because you, <laughs> you don't have a dog but you do something on every hunt that i greatly appreciate as a dog owner you know what that is what's that you always have extra water with you 
Oh. So as a <laughs> as folks listening, right? If you have significant other, family, friend, um, somebody just carrying a camera, documenting the hunt along for the walk, if you can, stuff an extra bottle of water in your vest, mm-hmm. in your backpack, whatever you're, because you know we we dealt with seventy degree yeah, temperatures, hot. and I run out of water. Every single time. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Aaron, help me out, brother. <laughs> and you did. Yeah. So that's uh, that's something that I sincerely appreciate. Well, you got it. If uh, folks are are watching, listening, that, um, you know, maybe they don't carry a shotgun, carry an extra bottle of water. Makes a big difference. Well, on, on that same note, one thing that Logan brought this year that I hadn't seen deployed in person was uh, Rufflin Kennels makes a watering hole. Mm-hmm. Um, it's... It's not necessarily for the back of your truck, although you certainly could use it then, but where it uh, really shines is the hotel room. Yeah. And so basically it's this little gravity fed box where you just fill it up and forget it. And then it always has like the same amount of water in the actual lips, lip section where the dogs can drink. And, you know, our two dogs are in the same hotel room. There's gravitating back and forth to that. But why I like it is I travel on the cheap. And so it's really easy just to grab that ice bucket that every hotel room comes with and just fill it up in, in the You're bathtub. You're that guy? Oh, yeah, fill it up in the bathtub, right? And, oh, that's, that's fine. I, I forgot my bowl out, outside, whatever. I got this little you know, ice bucket. If you've ever lo- knocked over an ice bucket full of water in a hotel room or your dog has, that can be a, a big deal. The watering hole will take care of that. You don't have to worry about the dogs knocking it over or anything, and they always have water throughout the night when they're waking up at 2 a.m. anyway, just trying to stretch their legs. <laughs> Well, final thought on this, and it's probably the question I get asked most on um, social media uh, about gear. It's it's what kind of brand or what brand of uh, vests are my dogs wearing? Because um, every photo of my dogs on Insta or Twitter, Facebook has a dog vest on. And folks probably have heard the story before. I had a, a pup uh, while I was hunting grouse um, about 10 years ago, run into a a tree that ruptured a carotid artery before um, um, before I had been using vests, and she died really fast. Um, so from that point forward, um, every hunt I go on, my dog either wears a Kuga brand or a Silmar brand vest. The Silmar is a little bit for uh, narrower breeds. The Cougar, Kuga, C-U-G-A, is for um, uh, deeper-chested dogs, and you know, some people worry about that vest in the opening in the neck, like f- actually funneling things in and causing problems. I've never had that happen happen in 10 years. And I've witnessed it protect um, my dog's safety and their lives. And, you know, they're not sponsors of the road trip, just a public service announcement um, that, you know, you got to get them that fit right. Otherwise, they can chafe the underarms. But I'm a big believer in uh, dog vests uh protects the heck out of them and they work their hearts out for you so it's it's worth the 30 bucks well it it goes beyond safety too and it's something that i need to get better at i'll admit this (laughs) um you know there there are definitely some people like well you know i don't hunt the northwoods i'm not worried about that i i don't encounter much barbed wire i'm not worried about that um for me i was pulling my hair out and my dog's hair out on a recent trip uh back in south dakota when uh 
he decided to take a trip through what must have been one of the most burr-rich environments <laughs> I've ever encountered. Yeah. And as someone who has a, a feathered dog, mm-hmm. um, the vest that I had in the truck, had he been wearing it, mm. would have saved us a lot of consternation. <laughs> it was about an hour back at camp just dealing with a whiny, wiggly dog covered in burrs. Mm. And I was like... I'm not sure I'm going to tell the wife about this one because she always tells me to put on the vest so he doesn't get burrs, and here we are. <laughs> you know, and, and something as simple as um, that orange visualize and being able to see them, particularly grouse hunting in the woods, darker woods. But, you know, even just running the prairie, I can, you know, short hair, tick, you know, liver ticking, you know, they that's somewhat camouflaged. You see that blaze orange, and you're like, okay, I know exactly where that pup is working. Mm-hmm. So. Um, a lot of benefit for it. Probably shows up better on film too, right? Yeah, I would agree. It's easy <laughs> to pick them out. <laughs> All right. Uh, next question comes from Manny Manuel. When hunting new terrain, how do you help your dogs transition to working closer or further, depending on where you're at? I hunt quail in Southern California, but will be traveling to South Dakota in December. Uh, Logan, you, you hunt a lot of different areas of the country. Do you have to do anything to, um, correct Aspen on distance? Um, or do they kind of innately know? Uh, that's a good question, I guess. I don't, I don't know if I'm the right one to answer it, obviously, but, um, you know, it seems like my lab kind of just innate, innately knows. Um, and I think the cover kind of dictates a little bit, you know, if he's in cattails, he's certainly not pushing out as far as he would in you know eastern montana um you know and with that you know with the training i i just try keeping him you know 40 and in and that's just kind of our philosophy so um i guess that's that's how we function but um i don't know if that answers it i think it's very different in the pointing dog world Hmm. um but at the same time just you got to let your dog just be a dog. Um, whether you're going to the North woods or the sand hills or somewhere in between your dog's naturally going to probably change its, its, its territory it's covering based on the landscape. Mm-hmm. Like when I'm in the sand hills, Baxter's a country mile away. When I'm in the North woods, he's probably within a hundred yards somewhere, even if I can't see him. And that just happens naturally. Um, but something that I'm currently learning to deal with as, you know, I'm still relatively new to the pointing dog mm-hmm. world and you've seen this transition. You've seen lots of frustrations of me trying to, you know, become a better like dog handler and something that <laughs> God just, forbid Allie has the controls. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, you know, it's, I, I started with the lab. I took it out of the box. It hunted great. End of story. This is like a little different mm-hmm. now. Uh, one thing Emily actually touched on when we were walking through the field um, cause I'm always picking people's brains who have great dogs just in terms of like, how are you working? Like, what are you looking for? Mm-hmm. Like, how does, how's this terrain affecting your dog? And she just kind of like stopped me a little bit. She's like, listen, I don't care where he is as long as he's hunting. Mm-hmm. As long as that dog is out there searching for birds, I don't care where he is. Cause that's what he's here to do. Mm-hmm. Like me walking any one direction. Like, what do I know that, that, that he doesn't or what, like, He's the one that's going to find him. She's wise beyond her years. So it's like as long yeah. as he's hunting and I know generally where he is, you know, look at the Garmin GPS, yeah. I don't care. And that's something that I need to get better at because it seems like every time I put my dog down, he's like, cool, you're here. Someone's over there. I'm over there. And it's like I'm so used to having the quartering lab like what Logan's talking about just to have my dog just kind of like shoot, blow off and then like just – He's hunting. I can tell he's hunting, but he's nowhere even near me in like the lineup of people. That's kind of like the internal struggle. It's like 
he's doing what he's bred to do. Mm-hmm. He's doing the right thing. It's just that I don't have my dog coursing in front of me. Mm-hmm. And so like, that's like the weird group dynamic that I, as a hunter need to get better at versus, you know, we both like to hunt in small groups or solo because then you're just going to follow. Yep. And so like, that's where some group dynamics come into play and just let your dog be a dog and, and that, have fun. And that's easier said than <laughs> oh, done. That, I fully I, will admit that. I think that's great advice. I'll tack on, you know, the birds are going to teach the dog how far to, to range and the terrain is i i 100 believe that dogs kind of at least as they get older right and you, you open up the kennel and like oh grass open open uh horizon we're gonna hunt pheasants or sharp tails today okay um and i witnessed that get on i got on a horse with a buddy when we went to montana and all of a sudden my my pups are ranging like three times as far he's like well i can see dad he's on a horse you know <laughs> he's gonna be able to get to me then i go grouse hunting and you know they're they're much closer to two three hundred yards and or or closer than that so i i really believe that your dog um manny you know going from california to south dakota it might take them a couple hours but they're going to figure out what the right distance is their dogs are smart smarter than most people i should know um <laughs> uh, all right let's w- uh, round out our dog section here um with darwin um our, our pheasants forever chapter president in wessington springs south dakota he sends in a message or a question. What tips do you have for hunters and their bird dogs when trying to find a poorly hit bird? Got any tips for him, Logan? Yeah, uh, so poorly hit bird, I'd say the first thing you want to do is is get a good mark. You know, hopefully someone in the group can, can mark the bird and you want that person just to kind of stand pat, right, while the rest of the group maybe moves in and they, and they just keep their eye on that mark on that spot help guide the group and the dogs in um you know and that that point you you go in and and, it, and the people should kind of stay back and let the dogs do the dog work um try recovering that bird um i guess i've found you get a bunch of people in there mingling around talking it, it becomes a distraction you're leaving excess scent you're making things more difficult on yourself so if you can you can get the dogs close to where they need to be and then just let them do the work um, that's when we've had the best success i guess i think that's 100 percent right on there's one thing that i'd add and it's particularly if you're hunting solo <clears throat> take your orange hat off uh, where you identify the mark and hang it on a hat or a yep. piece of brush and then move towards that mark and that allows you to go back to that spot if necessary and to sort of replay the scenario hopefully you won't need to (laughs) but uh your hat's orange you're going to be able to find it right where did we just see online logan i think you and i were commenting on this someone clip yeah someone's basically using a a chip clip like Mm -hmm. a miniature chip clip for a bag of chips and they tied a piece of like blaze orange flagging to it and they just keep that in their pocket Mm. and so like instead of just like throwing your hat on the ground they'll just clip that to the grass or whatever cover they're in and then use that as their marker. And I was like, well, that's, that's pretty ingenious. I'm going to steal that one. A walleye fisherman figured that out. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. I want to take a moment here and thank South Dakota Department of Tourism and South Dakota Game Fish and Parks. There's still time to plan your South Dakota pheasant adventure in the pheasant hunting capital of the country. Find places to stay and season information at Hunt 
thegreatest.com. Next up, we're going to go to the hunting category, kind of the meat and potatoes of, uh, of uh, the podcast here. Philip Young writes in, what factors, wind, food, cover, etc., do you consider, and how do you combine them to create your strategy for pushing pieces of land? Do you break a plot of land into sections and push these differently? All right, Andrew, you were the uh, the quarterback deciding where we were hunting, how we were going to hunt, how long to stay in the field. How would you decide all that? Um, when it comes to upland birds, pheasants are almost relatively easy in theory, um, at least the way I look at them. You know, when you look at prairie grouse, it's just wide open expanses of grass where it's just like, well... Let's, let's put on 10 miles of, of, of you know, boot wear and, and see what we can run into. Um, in the Northwoods, it's just kind of finding what, what's your young, you know, 10 mm-hmm. to 15-year-old aspen or, or that type of cover. For pheasants, it's what, where's the structure? Where's the edge? Um, I'm always looking for structure because um, they're, they're edge birds. They love that edge habitat. So anytime you can find a, a piece of grass that's, that has, you know, picked egg next to it, now that's ding, ding, ding. Yes, please. Um, same thing with hedgerows, windbreaks, even terrain features that just break up, um, you know, a larger WPA. You know, there's some massive waterfall production areas out there. Um, well, use the, those rings of cattails to, to your benefit. You know, find where the terrain breaks mm-hmm. and ride that, whether they're depressions or cattail edges or, or any sort of terrain break is what I instantly key on. And then second to that, and some people might say, well, this should be first is wind. Um, Because I know I'm probably going to be in a field long enough to where I'm going to have to angle against the wind. I'm going to have to play it one way or another. So whether I start with it or against it, I'm not too concerned when I first get out of the truck, knowing that if I thoroughly work this piece of property, I'm going to eventually have it to my advantage. And if I'm smart, maybe I'll have it to my advantage when I hit some internal structure that maybe nobody else has, has reached. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of how I'm looking at it. I'm, I don't want brome. I, I just do not want brome. I will drive way out of my way to avoid brome because it does nobody any good. Um, that's probably the number one thing that I avoid. Everything else is definitely on the table. So if <clears throat> folks want to go back and watch Aaron's videos, watch – so for – Two different, two very similar types of cover to look at visually. It's the golden hour hunt on the first day, the plots land, and get a really look at the habitat. Don't worry about the birds and the hunters. Look at the habitat. Weedy, messy, but not super thick. Watch that. The golden hour hunt, video number one in North Dakota, and the first field of video number two in North Dakota. Look at those and the Kosho video, right? Andrew talked about structure. Not, you know, structure is cattails and kosha uh, throughout much of the um, pheasant range. But look at those two to get a sense of the type of habitat we're keying in on. And, and the birds were there. The birds were absolutely there. Then look at the midday hunt, um, game production area of, of day two, we hunted some cattails, but you mentioned brome. Everything surrounding those cattails in that shelter belt was brome. And there's very few birds. Some birds, I think, are they nest in brome. But outside of that, it's, it's a bit of a biological desert. And a lot of, unfortunately, WPAs um, really need prescribed fire 
uh, across the Dakotas and Minnesota to get rid of that brome and create a little bit more weedy forb grass uh, landscape that are going to hold birds. But if you want to visually look at it, uh, go to those a couple of uh, sequences and you'll be able to see um, some of the things that we found birds in and, and would be universal. You could find birds in those weedy spots no matter where you're hunting. Yep, and you, you also have to learn as you go. You, you can't take pheasant hunting as just randomly running into birds here and there when you find one take a mental note what were the conditions and where are you at when you actually found that bird Mm -hmm. Um, because you you mentioned both the the first and second north dakota episodes well we really got into them the first day and that first year planting Mm -hmm. it was a first year weedy planting so then what we look for the next day we started at a a first year planting because that's where they were and same thing with the cattails it was way too hot Mm-hmm. for us to be hunting cattails. I didn't want to be in the cattails. I wanted to avoid the cattails, but that's where we were finding birds. Mm-hmm. And so while you're traveling around the landscape, if you're hopping from WMA to WMA, if you found a bird in the cattails, well, guess what? You should probably start looking more thoroughly at more properties with cattails. Yeah. Um, so find those those through lines, those threads that, that can connect well, everything. It's the comparison to fishing again, right? It, it, it find the pattern. And so many people like, well, a fish in, you know, 10 feet of water on the drop off and break point using, you know, shiners, you know, jigging a minnow, right? Whatever the pattern is that the fish are biting on it in particular. It's the same philosophy when you're talking about hunting. You're just looking for a pattern on how the birds are behaving, what they're relating to structure wise. It's not a drop off. It's an edge, right? It's very similar. If you're, if you're an angler, Um, you can easily, um, relatively use that same thought process and dive into, to bird hunting. Yeah. And that's, that's a great analogy because it changes from day to day, just Mm -hmm. like in fishing. Mm -hmm. Um, so you have to find what, what are we keying in on today? And it does change from day to day. So just cause there are birds there yesterday. Yeah. They're, they're around somewhere, but they not, might not be right where you found them yesterday. That same thing can be applied to, to different food. Um, options as well right on yep. so just just like fishing yeah um when it also makes me think of like fishing when there's a hatch right and the birds the the fish are going crazy the comparison there is when the f- the cornfield is getting harvested <laughs> right next to it. if you see a combine <laughs> ripping through right. a, a property next to some public just hang out just a while. hunt that yeah just 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 hang out a while just just make sure your reservations are made for the golden hour that evening <laughs> right. and, and be on time <laughs> All right, uh, controversial question, or not controversial, but uh, this is a little bit more of a challenge to answer. Sean Sullivan writes in, how do you make the decision to pass by a public field that has other hunters on it? Is there a certain size of the group or distance that you make room for another group? Ooh, that's a a challenging question. um, question to answer. All right. So Logan, you're going to tackle that one first. Okay. Yeah. That's a, that's a great question. Um, personally for me, you know, if I, if I'm going to hunt a particular public land piece and there's a, there's a vehicle at an access point, um, I usually just opt to, to go down the road and, and look for the next available, um, public land piece. That's, that's just how I operate. You know, that you could look at a, a map and say, well, you know, maybe there's a major split within that property, you know, where there's a south access and a north access and it's, it's several, you know, 
hundred acres, you know, even a thousand acres. And there's a definitive break through the middle of that property where you could go into the north and hunt it without, you know, um, affecting, you know, the group that's maybe on the south end of that property. Um, then maybe I would, but, but typically I'm just going to go down the road and, and look for a spot that's available. So Aaron, you've been, you grew up hunting out west, which it, the mm-hmm. landscape's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And, but you've also been along for a lot of trips with a lot of hunters over the last couple of years. Uh, what's your feel for this on, on sensibilities? And is there a universal, because you've hunted road trip, you've hunted, yeah. you know, all sorts of groups for videos with Pheasants Forever. Yeah, and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of with Logan just as a, like a hunting, you know, methodology. It's better just to kind of be mm-hmm. by yourself mm-hmm. to some degree if you can. The The other side of that is Rooster Road Trip is a bit of a production. You know, we did bring, you know, a couple trucks, a fair amount of people, dogs. So it's good to find those spots where we can go out and do our thing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, everyone's just got to figure out what they are comfortable with and what their group is comfortable with and, you know, make it happen. And, you know, in growing up hunting, you know, we hunted – really isolated steep country and draws you know and, and mostly trucker country and you can get a little tighter with more people in there because you know you could be one canyon over and you won't even hear that person's gun go off you know like right. it's just it's just a lot more tight you know maybe the, the grouse woods is maybe a little similar where you're so compacted in there and you know in all this thick cover that it doesn't make that much of an issue yeah well the challenge there is you you might be right around the corner from somebody, but you can't see the landscape to know where they are. Or you didn't even know they were there in the right, first place. Right. Yeah. Right. So, you know, when it comes to pheasant honey, you know, I, I, I agree with you, you and Logan, you know, I just create as much space as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at, at minimum, I like to be a mile away mm-hmm. and thinking about, you know, a person can walk a mile, um, you know, casually in about an hour, right? Yep. At you know, with, with dog and, and maybe that's, that's even a little lengthy, right? You can probably walk a mile quicker than that, but give them, give them some space and some time. And I think the key thing there too, is to do your homework. You know, we have all these tools now, Google maps, Onyx, all these, you know, things. So make a game plan, make, you know, plan A, plan B, plan C, that if you do roll up to your, you know, your first spot, you already have that next one mm-hmm. in, in mind. You know, where you're like, well, it's, I got this other one, you know, dialed up right here. Let's go over to that waypoint. So, yep. yeah, do your homework. I think it's more nuanced than that, though. Like, you can't, like, it's it's so based on your landscape where you are. Um, a Minnesota attitude is much different than a Montana a- attitude. Mm-hmm. Um, and that do, that's all due to the property sizes mm-hmm. that, that you're walking. Um, you know, where we call home, Minnesota, it's, it's fairly easy for us to be like, okay, I can see a majority of this property and someone's on it. I can go find something else. Mm-hmm. Um, but out West, there are only so many opportunities and so many entry points in terms of like trailheads that sometimes you do get stacked up with, you mm-hmm. know, five different groups in one area, but the property's so big that as long as you mind your space, who cares? Um, we've all been hunting out West where you come up over a Ridge and someone's right, right there. And you didn't even know they were there and that's, that's fine. Just give them the nod and, and go your separate way, a separate way. Um, there's, there's a balance because it's everyone's public land and I've had it both ways. I've had people literally start before, like as my wife and I were getting ready close enough to where if I were to take a shot, I probably could have sprayed them. Hmm. Like that's a little too close. I, I think like just have common sense. If it feels weird, it probably is weird. Like just follow your gut. But these properties are big enough and nobody's touching all of them to where like just because somebody's hunting 
a 400-acre complex. Oh, that's mine. That's not the right attitude either. There is actually a room for people. You just have to show respect, give people space, and actually use them to your advantage sometimes. I mean, because they're going to be kicking birds over to areas where they're not even hunting. Be respectful. Be smart. It's everyone's public land. It Just because someone's there doesn't mean, like, you can't be. You just have to show respect. Or here's a novel thought. Talk to them. Well, as uh, I was going to say, like, Minnesota, like, if I out. see them, I'll wait for them to get back to the truck. If if I know I've been driving around and access can be a limiting issue, 100%. Mm-hmm. That's why we work in the, the business we do to create more access. If I'm striking out at WMA after WMA after WMA, if I see one I really like, I'll camp out. And I'll I'll give them their business. It's, uh, I'll give them their space. I'm not going to park in right behind them, but I'll, I'll wait on the corner and I'll watch them and I'll see what they're hunting. And I guarantee they're not going to touch everything there. And I'll wait from the roll up and I'll be like, are you guys done hunting this? And I'll know how to go. I'll be like, yep, yep, we're out of here. And then they'll look at me like I'm crazy because I'll, I'll pull in right behind them, cut my dogs loose. And I have shot birds within 50 yards of a group pulling out before. Hmm. And, like, I know they watched me do it. And it gave me a weird sense of satisfaction. But it's probably pride the dog more than anything else. <laughs> but j- just because people are there doesn't mean that you can't be or you shouldn't be. Just be respectful. Well, yeah. When I said communicate, I was like, you know, you get to the parking spot at the beginning. Like, it's, there's no rule against, okay, you guys want to go this way. We're going to go that way and make a game plan together just like – we do on rooster road trip with multiple like a big group breaking into two there's you know that just be courteous you know all right um let's see adam cad relic sorry adam uh hopefully i pronounced your name what is the best way to get intel on good public land to hunt when coming from out of state out of state is it just a crapshoot or are there resources and tools that will be better, uh, that will better your chance for success? And, uh, you know, similar um, question, Dale writes in, uh, Rooster Road Trip has the advantage of, of working with biologists to pick hunting locations. What suggestions uh, do you have for the Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever audience to help them uh, find birdie places to hunt when they're traveling from out of state? It's a good, it's a really good question. I'm sure we all have some different thoughts and strategies that we put into place. Um, we'll start with Andrew. What do you think? I mean, Everywhere we went this year started off based on what I read in our own pheasant hunting forecast, mm. which is available to everybody. Uh, every fall, we, we kick out a prairie grouse primer and a pheasant hunting and quail hunting forecast. Uh, we try and include every single state that has you no know, reasonable hunting opportunities in it. That's how we ended up in southwest North Dakota. Um, I wasn't planning this a year in advance because I don't want to make our lives even more difficult by putting us in an area that... I personally might want to get to because it has a couple stories or it'll be, you know, beautiful from a cinema, like cinematic mm. aspect. I want to go where the birds are mm-hmm. just like everybody else. So use that resource first and foremost. We put a lot of work into that mm-hmm. and that does include reaching out to local biologists, both at the state level and our own internal team. So there's your little biologist insider right there via the pheasant hunting forecast. Um, from there, it, it's a lot, it's a lot of, pre-scouting on Google Maps or Garmin bird's eye satellite. Like it's, there's a lot of tools out there for people to actually, okay, once you have the general area, where is there the most public access? Where can we have the most opportunity? Because we will strike out in terms of people already hunting ground that is too small for us to join or we don't want to deal with. 
So what are the hotspots of public access where we can theoretically check out five properties in the morning if we have to? Mm -hmm. I, I really don't want to put us on an island and put all of our chips in one spot. And I suggest you don't do that that otherwise. Um, and to Dale's comment about having the advantage of biologists, um, yes and no. Um, for sure, we, we definitely make phone calls and try and figure out what does it look like in your area. Um, but by no means are we just being having our hands held by biologists and be like, okay, you're going to go hunt this field, and I'm going to go hunt that field, and then a golden hour, they're all going to be stacked up here. That's not how it works, man. I'm sorry. Um, I wish it was because that'd be, that'd be awesome. That'd be that'd be a lot of fun. The free guided hunt. Um, for sure, we're using their their local knowledge to our advantage. We had probably throughout the entire trip, we had three distinct properties where a biologist was like, I really want to hit this one. Other than that, it's, it's groupthink. It's mm. what are we seeing on the landscape? Where are we finding birds? Where do we want to go to next? It's it's a group conversation as we're all looking at the same maps and learning from where we're finding birds previously, just like we've already discussed, where should we go next? Mm -hmm. So the, like the last thing I want people to think is that we're like 100% being put on birds every single walk, because if that's the case, our, our bird numbers are way too low. Sure. That's, that's sure. not, that's not doing anybody any good in terms of like, well, if they can only find four birds in South Dakota, like, holy cow, like what's like, mm -hmm. that's not happening. So, Two additional thoughts, because I think you nailed it, um, but two other thoughts. Uh, when you go to a place for the first time, if your expectation is that you're going to bang out limits of pheasants and quail the very first trip, then then your eyes are bigger than your stomach. Because you need to go into a new place trying to figure it out, figuring out the birds, figuring out the terrain, figuring out the habitat, figuring out, is the corn harvested here? I mean, you're you're driving around, you're 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 really trying to decipher some things and by year two of that trip it gets a little better year three it becomes a tradition and you start figuring out the keys to success so if you're going into a trip expecting bag limits go find a preserve um, because you're you're not going to be able to do that um, on the road trip on a, a road trip anywhere and that's okay you know use use the trip for like you would any sort of vacation tourism right like um think about the 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 landscape eating something different you know enjoying the the all the amenities of a, experiencing a new place the other point and i mentioned tourism don't be afraid to call the Convention and Visitors Bureau of a particular area. And I'm thinking about you right now, Casey Weissmantle in Aberdeen, South Dakota. And same thing, like my, my family grouse camp is being sold this year, and we need to find a new place to go grouse hunting. So who would I call? I called Joe Henry at Lake of the Woods Tourism. Like, where should I figure out a grouse camp? If you're going to pheasant country, if you're going to quail country, don't hesitate to call the Convention and Visitors Bureau. You find a hunter that wants to pull people into a particular area and will help them find success. So a couple additional thoughts. Yeah, I really, um, you know, like the timeline you, you set there. And um, sometimes that's, that's realistic and sometimes it's not. Because if you're traveling from Kentucky and going to North Dakota for your first time, and you may never get to do that again. Yeah, you want to find birds, and we hope you find birds, and you probably will find birds. Um, but this, like, the first year is almost you're scouting more at the truck. You're looking at properties. You're figuring out like what looks good. Where should we even start? From there, like you're then you're scouting with your boots. 
And along the way, you're going to find birds. And then between that year two, year three, in terms of going back to an area, if you're lucky enough to be able to do that, well, then you're, you're hitting the ground running. Um, so it definitely takes time. So just having realistic expectations and just knowing that the whole point of this is to cut your dogs loose and have fun. And that that's what matters. Mm-hmm. All right. Emily Dyer writes in, what advice do you have for a new hunter going on a road trip? I've gone out uh, pheasant hunting a few times and I haven't hit a bird yet. The opportunities have been there. I just get nervous. Um, around the horn, let's start with, with Aaron. Um, what would you uh, advice you offer a new, a new hunter um, who's trying to put the recipe together? Wow. You know, there's, there's a, a couple different things. Um, you know, finding mentors and, and people to go hunting with, I think is huge, but it's also really hard, you know, and, but there are things out there, apps and tools and, you know, social media and stuff that can help you do that. You just have to maybe step out of your comfort zone a little bit and send people a message, you know, call the tourism board, like things like you're saying, and, you know, try to find those people or enlist a friend. Maybe you have someone that, you know, is in your circle that you're like, Hey, I really want to go do this. Will you, will you come with me? You know, and just to kind of provide that extra bit of, you know, security and, mm-hmm. and comfort along your trip. Um, past that is, you know, just like the, we've been doing, I think a good job of, of, you know, creating media, your podcasts, you know, in specific um, of, you know, talking about these, these types of things and, you know, pr- pr- putting a ton in, in, of information out there. And, you know, so just to kind of become a student of what it is you want to learn and realize that, yeah, you do have to learn a lot and it's going to take time and you're probably going to have to, you know, mm-hmm. put your time in and there's a learning curve to everything. Right, so right. just em- embra- embrace that, I guess. Yeah. Logan. Um, yeah, I think, you know, we probably put a lot of internal pressures on ourselves when we're in the field. Um, you know, you know, I don't necessarily think bagging a bird needs to be the, you know, def- defined success. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, a lot of times you can, and I need to be better about it too. You just need to take pressure off yourself and, and find other things that define success while you're in the field. And, um, usually when you take some of those pressures off, um, things start happening, mm-hmm. happening naturally. Andrew, but at the same time, we're there to find birds. Yeah. We're there to put them in the pot. Um, so I get it. Um, uh, it's, it's, you're it's, always contrarian and yeah, but we, it's, it shows, he, he, illustrates he's, he's, the he's difference. 100% right. Yep. Like there, it's more than just that, but we're also out there for a very specific mm-hmm. reason. And I, I hate to gloss that over and like pretend that oh, we're, we're higher than, no, we, mm. we're not here just to find birds. Well, yeah, it's more than that, but at the core of it, we are there to find birds mm-hmm. too. And so there's no point in, in like hiding that. It's just, how does it all work together? That, that can definitely be the focus, but it doesn't need to be everything. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great point that Logan's bringing up. Um, you know, Emily, it sounds like you're already getting into the chips a little bit. You've had opportunities, mm-hmm. just been nervous. It's just like any other skill in life. Repetition, repetition, repetition. It'll happen. I, I guarantee for you, it'll happen. If if you're having these opportunities already, you know, it, the rush of the flush is what we're all about. It, it, it should make you nervous. It should make you excited. Like it catches us all off guard from time to time. You know, Bob, I was with you and, and the grouse woods earlier this year where I let out a screech that I'm embarrassed of. <laughs> I do um, remember that. But, like, so like you know, we all get caught off guard and, like, yeah. flustered. And, then you know, you, yeah. you take a shot that you think is, is in the general direction of what just scared the bejesus out of you. Yeah. Um, but, like, enjoy those opportunities, that nervous energy, that excitement. Like, that's kind of, like, the drug that keeps mm-hmm. us coming back. So you don't want that just to disappear. Mm-hmm. 
It's just the more repetitions you have, the more you'll be able to kind of control that a little bit and still enjoy those moments. Yeah. Um, one advice that I throw out, Emily, is um, go by yourself a little. Um, I think when you're alone and you don't have a camera watching over you um, or an audience, um, it sort of takes out pressure. You can be um, just within your own self. And um, I bet you that that excitement in a good way um, doesn't translate to nervousness as much. And if you can get comfortable enough knowing, you know, you're, you're safe with your, your firearm, you're safe knowing the rules, you're comfortable, um, you know, using your GPS and um, track out on your own. And I think you'll, um, you'll, you'll find some success that way too. And that, that bridges into a question, and I'm going to hop to um, questions that were specifically asked of our uh, female participants, uh, Marissa um, and Renee and Emily um, for Rooster Road Trip. So Andrea writes in, what advice do you have to navigate a mostly male-dominated sport? Uh, And and here's Marissa's answer. Great question. Um, I spent most of my early days hunting solo because that's where I felt most where I felt I most belonged. I still love my time in the uplands, but I found a lot of great individuals to hunt alongside over the years. Women hunters are growing across the country, but we want to continue to see this growth until it's off the charts. My biggest advice for you or any hunter out there is to stay true to yourself. Never compromise your goals or comfort on any hunt, regardless of who you are around. And Renee adds... Keep getting out there, enjoying it and learning and enjoying the process. Surround yourself with people you want to be in the field with and have the same ethos as you, male or female. Life's truly too short to pay any attention to folks who may not be accepting of women hunters or who make derogatory comments, um, harm intended or not. Help create an upland community. Our women on the wing chapters are building strong networks of outdoors women all across the country, and you can help. Um, you can look up uh, Women on the Wing. That's the program that Marissa um, quarterbacks for us. And uh, there's a Women on the Wing chapter that Renee works with in Bismarck, North Dakota. I'll, I'll hop back to um, a women-specific question here in a moment. But in the meantime, we're going to go to the gear section. Um, Kyle McCracken writes, besides your gun and dog, what's the piece of gear you never forget? We're going to go to the video production specialist. You're going to bring your camera? Well, I mean, (laughs) speaking as a hunter, I think having a solid pair of boots Mm -hmm. is, is key, you know, and I remember my photography instructor, Ralph Clevenger back Mm -hmm. in the day, he's like the most important piece of photography equipment you have is what's on your feet. You know, it's going to put you into that F8 and be there situation, mm. you know, because you don't want to be hopping around in a pair of sandals, you know, or whatever the case may be. You want to be able to move over the terrain anywhere you want to go. That said, you know, having a second pair of boots is probably a good <laughs> idea, too, because eventually your feet are going to get wet or whatever's going to happen. Um, past that, you know, I'm a big fan of just, you know, being prepared, having those those little tools like the multi-tool or extra water. You know, I carried a camelback on this road trip and I was actually really glad I did because, you know, my hands are always full of 
stuff, gear and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. You know, same thing if you're carrying a shotgun and, you know, controlling your Garmin e-collar and all that stuff too, you know, you want to have that hands-free. So I actually really enjoyed the Camelback. I, you know, that's just, that's just me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, just be prepared. A pair of boots is a real solid. Yeah, you yeah. know, so I would, and then definitely, you know, take the time to break them in. That's that's part of, you know, spending that time during the summer to get out to the clay's course to get some rounds off. You know, go out and run your dogs, hike those fields. You know, get yourself more or less, you know, physically and somewhat mentally ready uh, for opening day. Logan, dog, gun, boots, gotta have ammo. <laughs> that's too easy um yeah besides besides the core things that we'd bring in the field you know i've i've really come accustomed to wearing my um sound gear hearing protection you know i've i've had the insta fits and and now the custom molded ones and yeah it's it's weird being in the field for me without that mm. um you, know, you only get one set of set of ears you know and, and being able to protect that plus the enhancement that i get by wearing those um it's one piece that you said when I hit the field and I forget them and don't have them in, I I feel off. Cool, Andrew. Yeah, that's that's a really good one. Um, you know, I'm I'm lucky enough to have the the Soundgear Phantoms, um, which is like the world's first Bluetooth compatible, you know, hearing aid and protection enhancement. And they're they're sweet, right? They're <laughs> they're awesome. Um, can use them in the gym. Can use them in the field. It's it's great. But I happen to lose them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the first day of Rooster Road Trip, I was, uh, I, I had them around my lanyard and we we're having a discussion and I don't know what I was thinking, but, um, you know, we, we hopped this Creek again, 15 times. If you're following along this one field ate my lunch. Um, and I remember hopping a Creek. I remember tearing my pants wide open cause you know, I'm just that big of an athlete that I just was that powerful. Um, and then I made it all the way back to the truck and realized my sound gears are gone. Mm. And without those, I honestly am to the point where I don't like pulling the trigger if I don't have them. It really bothers me. Um, so then uh, we're lucky enough, and I will fully admit we are blessed with the road trip to be sponsored by amazing companies that provide mm. us gear. And I had an extra pair of instant fits in the truck. And that was actually my first time using them, and I loved them. Mm-hmm. Um, I basically set them and forget them type deal all day. Um, so I was super impressed with those. So just to piggyback on Logan's comment, um, other than that, I know that you shouldn't use e-collars and GPSs as a crutch. 100%. Every dog trainer in the world will say you start with basic obedience. Then you start with following commands in the field. And then you can introduce a training collar and a GPS device because you shouldn't rely on that first. You need a well-trained dog that you trust before you even do anything like that. Well, me and my adopted little knucklehead aren't quite there. <laughs> so um, just having a, a GPS unit um, that allows me to know, okay, my dog is 80 yards down the line for me, but going off his direction heading and where he's at in relation to other hunters, he's hunting. Mm-hmm. He's well within where he should be for other people to give them a chance. That allowed my kind of control freakish like anxiety just to like mellow. It's like, okay, he's not working for me, but he is working, you know, for, for Logan or Bob down the line. Um, so just even having that comfort in addition to the, you know, you're not going to lose your dog type mentality because you got to come home healthy and you got to come home in general. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, I don't, I say this all the time. I don't know how people used to do this. Like even 10 years ago, mm-hmm. um, you know, bells are great in the, in the, in the grouse woods. And I love that the music that they make, but it's like, how did we function <laughs> without GPSs? And I, I guess I'm just completely falling into that. And, and I don't care because it makes me comfortable. And if I'm comfortable, I'm happy. And if I'm happy, I'm having a good time. And that's the whole point. Yeah. And you guys have touched on, um, we got a whole series of questions, uh, from Tyler, Tom Prasa, um, Nathan, um, Renee Wilson, um, asking about technology. And, um, you know, we, we mentioned sound gear, we mentioned, uh, the, the, um, the Garmin, the watch, the GPS units, um, anything we missed technology wise, Aaron, that, uh, that you think about from, from your point of view. I, so here's what I'm thinking, like, um, bring your phone, um, on airplane mode and take some darn pictures because, <laughs> you know, uh, it, the landscapes, particularly in the golden hour, when you do find success with a dog and a bird, um, ha, you know, take the time to snap a picture. And you don't have to be a video production specialist. Yeah. <laughs> to, to well, no, and, and Logan does a great job of balancing the camera on one hip and a shotgun in his hand, you know. And yeah. Um, yeah. him and I are both fans of these these certain camera straps. They're Black Rabbit, Black Rabbit crossbody straps. And they just, you know, the camera just hangs at your side. You can pick it up one-handed and shoot with it. If you need to drop it, just drop it. It goes right back down to your hip. And, you know, they're super helpful. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How do you do that? How do you take photos and never miss, Logan? Oh, I miss. I miss plenty. <laughs> um, but, it, you know, it's, for me, being able to be, you know, as a, as a photographer and a hunter, for me, being able to be, like, you know, at, a part of the group in the hunt um I, I just feel like i'm i'm in it and i have, i feel like i can capture things that are happening during the hunt that maybe i wouldn't if i was 30 yards behind um you know and i, I enjoy that process and and capturing those moments and you know just you, you kind of learn you know i have trust in my dog you know i know how he operates mm-hmm. so it, that that helps because that's that's another element is you know, i'm also dog handling um, that's true so dog handling shooting and photography it's just a lot and and, and I you feel have like, to think at the same time but if you're in in the group dynamic and you're in mm-hmm. the hunt I, I just feel like things just happen naturally mm-hmm. um and you you just see things differently i don't know it, it works for me but little things like the sling mm-hmm. um you know it, it slings the camera away from my uh, mounting shoulder so that helps and it's it's always there i can grab you know i I try to have my settings set so I can just quickly snap the photo and, and then get back to the hunt. Um, just You're little things like supremely that. supremely talented at what you do. Well, thank you. Yeah. It's, it's fun to, to try juggling it all. All right. Let me answer um, on behalf of Marissa uh, another question directed at our, um, our, our women participants. Nathan Roberts writes in, where do you find – quality functioning functional clothing for the female bird hunter and marissa answers hands down my this is my biggest struggle and in particular finding upland 
upland pants for women. It's all about the pants, uh, Marissa writes. And Browning has nailed it with their women's brush pants. I love the chocolate color so that nobody can tell how many days I've worn them. And they keep me cool enough in the hot September sandhills for grouse and warm enough and uh, sometimes with an additional layer in late season of January in Nebraska where I live and hunt. They've uh, really held up in some nasty cover. So there's Marissa's answer on on a, on a women's clothing. We're going to jump to a couple of uh, uh, mixed bag miscellaneous potpourri questions here. Um, this is a favorite one for me because I um, Hunter was in my vehicle and I know what our soundtrack of the Rooster Road Trip was, but I have no idea what you guys were listening to. What was the soundtrack of the Rooster Road Trip? Were you guys listening to... Uh, to, to music, to books, to podcasts. What uh, what what got you ten hours to a very far western North Dakota? You want to take that one? All of the above. Okay. Um, you know, it's a lot of podcasts when it comes to or audio books when it comes to just getting there because uh, you just kind of want that time to fly by as quickly as possible. Uh, when it comes to actually, you know, going from field to field, to hunt to hunt. I don't know, Logan and I aren't jamming out like 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 other folks are, but I will say there were there there. Were they, he was looking at you, Aaron. Aaron when he Aaron's said that. the metalhead. That, that's and and Bob's got his '90s grunge, so we know what's going on in, in those in those trucks. Um, for me, one moment that that stood out, um, and I'm sure like Logan's like, what is going on with this guy right now? Uh, we were driving through the Glacial Lakes region of South Dakota uh, on our second day. And we had just, you know, gotten through that huge weather system that, mm-hmm. that moved in and just kind of absolutely socked us in, basically blew up our day. And then we were heading south, cutting through all these huge pockets of lakes as the mist was rising up and the sun was, was rising. And I just, I had to rip on Gordon Lightfoot's Seven Island Suite. <laughs> and I was just like, woo, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's truth. truth. <laughs> Uh, were you jamming with them, or were you it, like, "What?" It, I, I, yeah, it's I was. I, uh, it's, I always find it incongruent with the personality that Andrew has. Yeah, he, like, threw me off. Lightfoot it threw so me much. off. I'm a huge Gordon Bobo. When it <laughs> when it wasn't podcast rolling, it was it was that. Yeah. So I, I mean, it, it worked. <laughs> I'm glad we didn't wreck the Edmund Fitzgerald. <laughs> I mean, if you want to do some Steely, Steely Dan, oh, Hall and Oates, Gordon Lightfoot, Neil Young. I mean, it's. I might only be 35, but my music taste says otherwise. <laughs> All right, drop some metal on us. What were you well, listening to? I wasn't really listening to metal. I, I was rolling around with Marissa from most of the time, and we had the Lithium Channel from Sirius XM mm. playing pretty much like Lithium, nonstop, yeah. just singing along and talking about you know, growing up in the nineties because her and I are roughly <laughs> about the same age, I think. And like, yeah, yeah no, we had a blast. Uh, I subjected Hunter to, well, we, we listened to a lot of John R. Miller, who's kind of a, uh, Appalachian Tyler Childers sort of Americana, um, who's uh, just love him. And then, uh, uh Keith McCafferty's, um, uh, fly fishing murder series <laughs> and Keith McCafferty's, a, a field and stream outdoor freelance writer who I got to hunt with in Montana a few years back. Actually, Trammell was like a year old and, and I got to hunt with Keith in Montana and, uh, he's written a, a series of murder mysteries, uh, set in Montana and Hunter would, 
hump, jump from one vehicle to the next and come back like eight chapters later and say, <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> so we listened to a few books. Uh, uh, all right. So overarching question uh, written in by, let's see, Jason Landerson. Okay, this, we're, we're heading towards the finale here. So this is a big question. Did the Rooster Road Trip participants feel the bird numbers were better than expected across the region, so North Dakota, South Dakota, than anticipated based upon the forecasts? So, you know, Andrew, you talked about the forecasts coming into it that we, we've, we've had had multiple episodes of this podcast focused on the drought and what that means for birds. Um, what's now that we've got the road trip under us, you've got multiple trips to the Dakotas. Um, what's your, what's your take on the bird numbers this season? Well, you nailed the fact that leading up to September and October, you know, drought was the, the, the sexy topic or topic, um, which kind of paints a little bit of a doom and gloom atmosphere no matter how optimistic you are because you you're kind of leading into the season with some apprehension of uh well we'll see what happens and honestly that's how we looked at through Sir road trip mm-hmm. if if the story was going to be you know there, yeah, there's a lot of emergency haying and grazing going on it's necessary it happens and it's up to us as as flexible hunters to deal with it and find the habitat that's holding birds that's kind of the the mental attitude i had going into it um i was pleasantly surprised mm-hmm. um in both north dakota and south dakota with what we encountered um a lot of young birds still in north dakota which speaks to you know re nesting and, and a second hatch um you know bob i think you and i both agreed that on, on one of those properties that was probably the most public land birds mm-hmm. we, we've ever seen in one property yep um and it was evident that area was hammered by a drought. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did a lot of truck scouting in terms of like, where can we even find enough grass to not only produce a couple birds, but be big enough for a large group to walk around for long enough to tell a good story too. Um, so I was, I was definitely surprised um, in a positive way, but it also just goes to show like, just get out there. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, use the forecast as a tool. Yes, you want to put yourself in, in the best um, spot possible to to have success in the field but at the end of the day like you don't know till you go and so if you're hedging like your your fall adventures based on someone else's perceptions don't just go do it mm-hmm. go go hit the road have fun that's the whole point of this entire rooster road trip is to inspire people that are no better than us or, or worse than us to get out there and give it a try because you never know what you're going to find. And chances are you're going to be surprised in a positive way. Um, and I know that's how I felt. Yeah. Logan. Yeah. I would exactly like Andrew said, um, you know, it, we saw some emergency hay and grazing in North Dakota, but it didn't, it didn't derail our trip by any stretch mm-hmm. of the imagination. We, we found plenty of birds, plenty of places to hunt. Um, you know, South Dakota, we hit a stretch of bad weather, which obviously, impacted our hunting but the habitat there was phenomenal um i didn't see any signs of it um you know it was plenty wet plenty of birds plenty of ground to hunt um and to andrew's point you just got to get out and go yep yep um third third person agreeing you know i i've had two trips to north dakota two trips to south dakota and multiple trips to to minnesota and particularly sharp tails and, and pheasants and same thing we've seen 
emergency hanging and grazing, which has quickly eliminated some public land spots from, you know, wearing out any boot leather. You go find where the habitat is, and there's um, there's a lot of birds there. They're going to be concentrated, and they're probably going to be pushed around. Um, and as you get to late season, you got to play the game a little bit differently. But you go to that quality habitat, you're going to find birds. And, um, you know, as we record here at the end of November, and um, it's a high of 27 today, I know that the sloughs are starting to freeze across the Dakotas, across Minnesota and Iowa and uh, pheasant country, and that's going to change the game. Um, we've had some snow, that snow's melted, which is fun uh, circumstances because you get multiple first snows of the year, and for whatever reason, pheasants get paralyzed when when they encounter that first snow. And if even if it's the third snow, but it's been melted, uh, you can do it multiple times. So there's birds to be had, and you know a lot of hunters will not go out again in December, and that's that's a mistake. Um, there's going to be a lot of birds to be had late season. All right. Final thanks. Uh, our corporate partners who have ridden shotgun not only this year, but for 12 years running um, to all those companies that have helped make this a very lucrative revenue stream for our organization's habitat mission. Um, this year's Rooster Road Trip partners, Browning, Garmin, Apple Autos, Rufflin Kennels, Sound Gear, Thoroughgood Boots, South Dakota Tourism, and Federal Premium Ammunition. Thanks for supporting our conservation efforts and uh, for help, helping us bring Rooster Road Trip to the masses and it hopefully inspiring uh, you, the viewer, and the listener to uh, go out and do your a Rooster Road Trip of your own. Andrew? Got a cool membership promotion going on right now. Tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's a browning field uh, knife is what we're calling it, but really it's more of a fin feather style. So it's perfect for, for your upland birds and it'll also work in your tackle box just as well. Uh, comes with a great sheath. It's it's branded Pheasants Forever. It's exclusive to us. So head to roosterroadtrip.org and become a member, renew your membership or extend your membership and get yourself a solid browning knife. And while you're there, sign up to win. Logan, uh, have you parted with the shotgun yet? I did. I gave it back. <laughs> I, 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 got it, I got it back from him real quick because I did not have faith that it wouldn't just continue its adventures through the uplands. <laughs> yeah, I was figuring it was going to go to Nebraska before uh, before it went back. Yeah, no, that didn't happen this year. So. And you normally it's, don't shoot a semi-auto either, right? No, I don't. Um, I did take my sling off of it, though. So whoever wins that shotgun is not getting my sling. <laughs> <laughs> yep, so. No, you'll, you'll enjoy it. Head to roosterroadtrip.org again, and all mm. you have to do is, is fill out a form. It's as simple as that. No strings attached. Just get your name in the running, and we'll be uh, drawing for that around uh, December 13th mm. or thereabouts. All right, December 13th for the uh, deadline for the Browning Maxis. And please, we're a conservation organization. We're a nonprofit, and we need people that are watching and listening and following along to become members. And that $35 is tax deductible, and it goes to a good cause. It goes to our ability to create more habitat and public access for everybody, whether you chase pheasants, chase quail, or just 
enjoy wildlife, nature with a camera or your own set of eyes, um, please join Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever, $35 a year. You'll get a subscription to our journal, and if you sign up through Rooster Road Trip, you'll uh, get that browning knife that Andrew talked about. All right, around the horn, closing thoughts. We've each reached the, uh, the end of the road. We're almost home on the old Garmin Montana uh, GPS. We're uh, closing in on our home driveways. We're going to start with Aaron. Um, what's your cherry on the top of the Sunday for Rooster Road Trip 2021? What's your final thought? Well, um, as Andrew mentioned, you know, this is our 12th season doing it. And um, I just want to thank the viewers and the listeners for being patient with us this year as we did a more extended rollout of the media. It gave us a lot more time to create a more polished product, tell a better story, hopefully. Mm. So thank you all. Um, I encourage you to go to the YouTube page, you know, click sub subscribe. And uh, we're going to keep rolling out more great content, you know, in the months and years to come. And, um, yeah, I'm just excited, you know. Let's just keep doing <laughs> cool, cool stuff. <clears throat> well, it's, um, I do want to publicly say that, I mean, by far the best videos that we've ever produced. And part of it is you had the advantage of time that no other <laughs> video yeah, production specialist. I don't know if people fully done. realize the old road trip, road trip style and <laughs> what that entails. So tell, uh, tell them the old road trip style. Well, the old road trip style was that, uh, you know, we would hunt until Andrew was like, okay, we got a couple birds and um, we're going to skip out on the afternoon golden hour, which makes me cringe. But uh, we're going to head back to the Beca hotel. It makes you cringe not only from the bird numbers, but it's beautiful that's, light, right? That's, that's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Like if you see that, that first episode when we were hunting in North Dakota and we were walking next to that river and as the sun was going down, we were still putting birds up. And the images, you know, that's the kind of thing that gets me really excited mm -hmm. as, a, as a photographer and videographer. But um, in days past or in years past, they would, you know, have to hustle back to the hotel because they had to record a podcast. They had to write the blog stories, edit the photos and edit a video all in the space of an evening, you know, often staying up till two in the morning mm -hmm. and then rushing to go find, you know, some Wi-Fi out in the middle of, you know, North Dakota, South Dakota, wherever they were and upload that stuff to get it, you know, ready for the audience that day. And, you know, I think... Uh, audiences have come to realize or uh, come to expect that, you know, some of these things take a little bit of time to, mm -hmm. you know, to, to create a little bit better product. And they're fine with waiting. You know, everyone's on the episode train, you know, waiting for their next show to come out. And mm -hmm. so we're just joining that group. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, did you feel more pressure because there was more time? Uh, no. No. Really? I, okay. I, no, I, I think – um, with this type of shooting, you know, this, this kind of run and gun style where you're still out there, you know, and, you know, big, big shout out to uh, Hunter Booth. He's actually running these three cameras we got out here right now. Um, he came on board and, you know, kind of took him under my wing and put a camera in his hands and was like, all right, dude, go for it. You know, yeah. let's, let's see what happens. So having a second shooter was great and, you know, just gave us a lot more material to work with. Yeah. And, um, you know, like I think once you get in your groove, either hunting or filming or shooting photos, you know, it might take you a day or two to kind of get in that groove. But once you do, it's it's good. You know, as long as your gear is, you know, set up, you know, you got to um, prepare, you got to make plans, you know, make sure you have everything, charge your batteries, mm -hmm. you know, all that stuff ahead of time. And uh, it just sets you up for success. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, big shout out to the crew, too, for being supportive and you know, waiting for the camera guys to, you know, get their boots on, you know, and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, thank you guys for yeah. sure. Well, great work. Turned out wonderfully. Thank you. Logan.
closing thoughts for you? Uh, just had a blast again. Honestly, I, I love, um, the adventure side of it, you know, just being on the road, traveling, seeing new, new country. Um, you know, I've been to Dakotas before. It's been several years since I've hunted either state. So it's, it's always fun to get back and, um, hunt with new people, like-minded people, um, new dogs, just the whole thing. I just have a blast with it. And, Mm -hmm. um, it's always something I, I look forward to each year. Um, unrelated note, just when Aaron was talking, uh, one thing that popped in my head is like a must have for a road trip is a power strip. Mm. Um, and I say that like in the hotel room, you're limited on, on outlets. You got your dog GPS collars, you got cell phones, I mean, all, all the electronics. And I've, I've just found like that power strip. Gotta have it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Andrew, great job changing the format. I, uh, I've tracked along through our social media channels, and I haven't, I haven't seen a, a single negative comment about feedback, uh, and it's been rave reviews on this episodic, to bring it full circle, um, rooster road trip um, design. What's your what's your final take? Yeah, that's that's one of the the points I I want to get to here. Um, first and foremost, it's just twelve years doing this, and another year where I'm just so thoroughly impressed with our co-workers and volunteers and members that we meet up with in the field each and every year Uh, this year was no different Um, it just makes me so proud to work for pheasants forever Mm. and to actually see the work that our chapters and and our membership dollars are accomplishing like out on the landscape Um, it's just we're so lucky like first and foremost i just have to thoroughly admit that you know i'm one of the luckiest people on the planet to to be able to, to work for such a great organization and be able to do this and hopefully inspire others to go take advantage of the same areas and opportunities that we did. Um, the upland landscapes can't be taken for granted. No, they have to be fought for. They, we have to keep our finger on the pulse. You have to get out there and go enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Go see what we're talking about. <clears throat> go take a risk. Throw a, throw a dart at a map and see where you end up. Have an adventure. Have fun. Get out there. Plan your own rooster road trip. There are so many opportunities and exciting things just waiting for you out there. All you have to do is go. And that's all I want people to do because selfishly, the more people that get out there and try this and, and have fun and have these great experiences, the more they'll care. The more they'll be engaged with conservation or upland conservation mission. And I want that. Yeah. I will thoroughly admit that. Selfishly, I want more supporters of Pheasants Forever and our mission. Um, and that will come as more people get out there on their own rooster road trips. So get after it. Um, that said, we uh, may not have seen a, a much negative commentary um, on social media or anything like that. Um, but that doesn't mean that I'm, you know, thoroughly stubborn in terms of this is the way it'll be forever. <laughs> um, so this is this is my <clears throat> request to anybody who's you know still out there listening or watching. Um, now, as you go through, you know, our content on roosterroadtrip.org or, you know, you check out our YouTube page and please, you know, like and subscribe. I'm going to throw that out there again. Mm-hmm. Um, let me know what you think. Avavra at pheasantsforever.org. So A, V's and Victor, A, V's and Victor, R-A. My dad would be so proud of that way. <laughs> um, I personally want to know. Um, just because we changed it up doesn't mean it has to be that way forever. Maybe everybody does actually prefer the five days of madness and us losing sleep and just throwing stuff out there willy nilly. Cause it's, it's live. Or maybe they do prefer, you know, the, 
the nice polish that we're able mm-hmm. to, to put on these stories and, and being able to spend actually more time in the field versus half days, which I don't think most people really understood. Um, I want that feedback. I want to continue to have this grow and I want people to be inspired to get out there. So let me know what you think. Good, bad, otherwise, how'd your own rooster road trip go? I want to hear from you. You wrote, <clears throat> and uh, this I think it was in our final email blast, blog posts, the call of the uplands isn't a siren song. It's a feeling of wanderlust that compels us to spend time with good friends and better dogs in landscapes that should never be taken for granted. So in, in one sentence that kind of summarizes what you um, articulated so eloquently, you know, this um, we're in the middle of Call the Uplands campaign. Our organizations line in the sand to protect the grasslands and the uplands and the quail savannas and the sagebrush lands that are disappearing faster than any ecosystem on the planet. And they're in our own backyards. And uh, Rooster Road Trips, just another way that we can u- utilize um, our platform to highlight those losses. And the, um, the gem that is the uplands that's disappearing before our eyes is this generation. So um, I'll double down on Andrew's comment. Get out there. If you know, if no other reason than you want to become a better upland hunter, there's no better way to become a better upland hunter than to experience a new bird or a different landscape. Um, your dog will learn quicker than you will. <laughs> I can testify to that. Um, but you will become a better hunter uh, if if you you know step outside your comfort zone and learn to hunt some new terrain. And you know what it is. It, as thrilling as a vacation that you take, uh, you see new places, eat new food, um, you, you meet new people, and um, you'll have the time of your life. All right, folks, Rooster Road Trip 2021, the Dakotas edition, number 12. That's a wrap. In the meantime, I'm Bob St. Pierre reminding you to always follow the dog. Even if Andrew tells you not to, always follow the dog something good will rise. Thank you so much for following along and please become a member at roosterroadtrip.org.